A little over a year ago, my husband ended up in the hospital with what they thought was going to be a very serious heart attack. Fortunately, it turned out he didn't need stents and everything was okay, but he went home a changed man. Why? Because he had a diagnosis of diabetes type 2 and blocked arteries. That is scary. But because of that diagnosis, he changed his life. He began eating completely different. He's lost 95 pounds. Today, he's out playing pickleball. We might not like the diagnosis, but it can change us for the good. Welcome to Storming the Gates, a podcast that celebrates the power of prayer. You will be inspired, equipped, and find strength for every battle you face. Okay, so let's get started with this podcast of Jeremiah 3, which I am calling The Sickness and the Cure. And I have to tell you honestly, I am so thankful for this chapter of Jeremiah. It's because this chapter specifically speaks clearly about God's great grace and mercy, even though it's sandwiched between verses about how his people have strayed far, far from him. You know what? My little grandson recently joined his family in contacting a nasty virus. And they had traveled from one family member to the next, to the next. Well, his became an ear infection and he was in pain. Now, because the other members hadn't had ear infections, it was more a throat thing. They didn't realize right away there was an ear infection. And before they got him to the doctor, the eardrum ruptured. The thing is, when it ruptured, the pain diminished because the pressure was released. But his parents actually felt worse. They ended thinking little John had suffered under their care. Now, relief came in knowing that an ear infection, as bad as it may be, does not need to be a permanent condition. It can get worse without care. But they knew a trip to the local clinic would bring the needed treatment. And sure enough, a couple of doses of moxicillin and some soothing eardrops pepped the lad right up. In fact, yesterday, I brought him his favorite snack, mango, mango chips. (laughs) Just my little gesture of love and compassion. Well, this is kind of what Jeremiah 3 is about, because God has laid out the sickness through chapter 2. Okay, so if you haven't read chapter 2, read chapter 2, and then also read chapter 3. And in it, God reveals the infection of sin that is literally killing Israel and Judah, pretty much killed Judah by that. It also, might I add, is like an ear infection that keeps them from hearing his words. And he continues to lay out clearly in the first part of chapter three that they are sick, sick nation. Well, we might read those words of Jeremiah and think that sounds harsh. I mean, we always want to recoil the news we're sick. No one likes hearing they have a problem that requires a trip to the doctor. And that's why we wait at times, hemming and hawing about whether or not we really need to go in. But it is only in learning of the sickness that we know we have to seek a cure. When our bodies are weak or in pain and we can't figure out why, then we're left in fear and uncertainty. So God provides not just a diagnosis of the illness, but he now presents the cure. In the beginning of chapter three, God asks his people a question. 
If a man divorces his wife and she leaves him and marries another man, and then the first one marries her again, wouldn't the land be completely defiled? Well, the rabbis of Jeremiah's day would have nodded, stroking their long beards in agreement. Wife sharing was a thing not allowed in Hebrew law. So God then declares, but you have prostituted yourself with many uh, lovers, yet you want to return to me? Uh Uh-oh, SpaghettiOs. Not only did Israel run after another god, but actually after many gods. If the land could be defiled by one case of wife sharing, how much more is it defiled by multiple cases of wife sharing? So Dr. God's kind of laying out an x-ray of Israel's internal problems through this picture of them as spiritual adulteresses. The sickness of the land is clearly presented and the prognosis is not good. Now, what would you do today if you learned you had a terminal illness? That's the sort of statement God, as a doctor, is making. Picture him as he pushes that x-ray towards his people and outlines the illness. The cancer has spread, he says, to an appalled and sickly people. Thankfully, he's about to share the cure. So first, let's stop right here and pray for the cancer culture around us. Not the cancer culture, though that could certainly use some prayer as well, but the cancer culture. Lord, I pray that we will listen to your diagnosis, gnosis, and Lord, that we will take it seriously, that we won't flee from it, that we won't deny it, that we won't run from it, that we would reach out for help and support as we get that. In fact, that we would reach out to you, O Lord, and that we will listen to you as you present the cure. Lord, we are all ears. We turn our ears to heaven to hear what you have to say about this situation. We heard about the sickness. Now let's look at the cure, which is the beautiful part of this chapter. Um, On one hand, God has laid out a case that should strike fear into the hearts of the listener. The cancer has spread. It's a death sentence. God can't heal our land or take us back. But on the other hand, God desires people to understand the depth of sin we often allow and the devastating consequences, because only then will we willingly accept the medicine that we'd otherwise do without. So let's take a look at Jeremiah 2 verse 12b, the end of Jeremiah 2.12 and the beginning of 13a, where God says, Return thou backsliding Israel, saith the Lord, and I will not cause mine anger to fall upon you, for I am merciful, saith the Lord, and I will not keep anger forever. Only acknowledge thine iniquity, that thou hast transgressed against the Lord thy God, and hast scattered thy way to the strangers under every green tree, and ye have not obeyed my voice, saith the Lord. The two words that leapt out here to me were return and acknowledge. And not just acknowledge, but only acknowledge. God is indeed pleading with the people who are destined to die, asking them to simply turn around and run back to him. He presents his character plainly. I am merciful. I do not hold crutches. 
I don't want to be angry, no matter how awful this sin and sickness is. Just acknowledge your sin. Tell it like it is. Be honest. Stop running. Stop hiding. Come home. Isn't this just like the father in Luke 15, who saw his prodigal son trudging wearily down the dusty road because he finally came to his senses? The son realized what a terrible mistake he made. And what was the father's reaction? To bolt the door? To go berate his son for his many indiscretions? To sentence him to work as a servant, shoveling manure until all the earnings he squandered had been repaid? Well, even though that's how we often think of God, no, this dignified and stately father abandons all shame and anger. He bolts out his door with reckless abandon, hurries to meet the young man while he was yet barely visible on the horizon. God is usually pictured in the Bible as a stately king reigning majestically in glory upon his throne. But here God runs. There's a song that captures this image so succinctly. Part of the lyrics say, and the only time, the only time I ever saw him run was when he ran to me, took me in his arms, held my head to his chest and said, my sons come home again. It's a great song by Phillips, Craig and Dean, and I'll post a link to it in the show notes. But God ran. He ran to grab his son and weep and rejoice over him. It doesn't stop there because he then threw a party in his honor and the son was forgiven as he turned away from the pig pen and headed home. So let's pray. Lord, I pray that we will, first of all, be honest with ourselves about what we've done, about our sin, about what's led us to a pig pen. And that second of all, that we will be honest with you, oh Lord, about what has led us away. We don't just pray for ourselves, Lord, but we pray for a community. We pray for a nation that is not being honest about what is going on, about our our devastating consequences due to choices we made. So, Lord, I pray right now that people will leave the pig pens where they're starving and they're looking at what the pigs are eating and thinking, I want that, and they'll return home. And then, most important of all, that we will let you lavish us with your love that you long, long, long to pour out on us. Amen. Well, after these verses, there's some cool prophetic promises, and they've begun to pass in the days that we are living. All right, let's look at Jeremiah 3, 16 as our final verse in chapter 3 that we are focusing on. Now, keep in mind, I do have journal pages available. Just follow in the show notes where it talks about Substack and subscribe for free. Make sure you use the free one. You can pledge something if you want, but I am not charging any money for this, nor do I plan to till at least Jeremiah is done. And I'll give you fair warning if I happen to, but sign up. Just say no pledge, just say no thanks, go on in, subscribe, and you can get these journal pages. I'll let you know when the full devotional journal is available in print. Anyhow, we're going to look at Jeremiah 3.16. And it shall come to pass, when ye be multiplied and increased in the land, in those days, saith the Lord, 
They shall say no more, the ark of the covenant of the Lord. Neither shall it come to mind. Neither shall they remember it. Neither shall they visit it. Neither shall that be done any more. Okay. The Lord is causing his people to see into the future. Somehow Jeremiah saw this into a time when the Ark of the Covenant will no longer be among them. So even though he's telling them that there are consequences for their sin, he's actually saying, despite all this, the day is going to come. You're going to be multiplied. You're going to be increased in the land. And the Ark of the Covenant is not going to be important anymore. Okay, so the ark was a ceremonial representation of God's presence. But one day, Jeremiah tells him, one great day, okay, um, they'll be multiplied and increased instead of being scattered and depleted, which sadly is about to happen. But in those far off days when they increase and are multiplied, the ark won't be there. Now, this message would have caused a collective <gasps> gasp to usher forth. No ark? When Jeremiah spoke these words, Israel was relying on the ark as the sign that God was with them. As long as the ark was in place, surely God was there. If you might remember in First Samuel, the ark is stolen and the priest falls over and dies. It was horrifying. So this ark is one of the many vestiges of religion they clung to as proof. We're okay. We're okay. Even though God threw Jeremiah saying, uh-uh, no, you ain't. But as this prophecy states, one day God's presence will be known in a different form, in a person by the name of Jesus Christ. They will have Emmanuel, which means God with us, God himself with them and no longer need a symbol of his presence. I mean, go to Israel today and look for the ark. It's nowhere to be seen. What is to be seen is God's chosen people multiplied and increased upon the land. These words are surely coming to pass before our very eyes. Through this clear fulfillment of Jeremiah's words, we can see that God is saying how we may forget our covenant with him, he never forgets his covenant with us. He remembers us, no matter how off and alone we are. Emmanuel does not mean the ark is with us. It means God is with us. As a new believer, God graciously provided me with a new home when I chose to leave my oceanfront apartment. Temptations and sin were prevalent in that apartment. So this new home, was with a lovely charismatic Catholic family who loved God with all their hearts. They truly did. Uh, but so much so that pictures of Mary, Jesus, the saints, various large and small statues, rosaries, artifacts, cluttered that sprawling rural home from one end to the next. Well, I wondered about it all. Was it good to be confronted with a mini sacred heart statue when I opened the refrigerator? Or was something off kilter here? I discussed this with a friend, and we decided to pray together for discernment from God. And that very night, our pastor preached right out of Judges 17. In that chapter, a man named Micah is collecting all sorts of religious paraphernalia. Here's a good summary of that chapter, which um, I, I'm copying from a site online from gotquestions.org. It says, 
Micah was certainly zealous. He built a shrine, made an ephod to use in religious activities, fashioned some household idols. He was excited to have hired his own personal priest. Now I know that the Lord will be good to me since this Levite has become my priest. That's from Judges 17, 13. However, Micah's actions were not based on the teachings of God's word. He sought to serve God the way he wanted, not the way God had commanded. And this is what our pastor said that night with his finger seeming to point directly at me, even though I was in a large and overflowing theater of people. He said, sometimes we fill our physical space with mementos of God because it makes us feel righteous and they make us feel good. But Jesus wants us to worship him in spirit and in truth. He said, the kingdom of God will not be found here or there. It is within you. And thus, that is how the ark had been reduced reduced to a religious artifact in Jeremiah's day. So what happened to this Ark of the Covenant? No, Indiana Jones did not uncover it on an island in the Asian Sea. <laughs> the Ark was captured or hidden when Jerusalem fell to Babylon. And we'll see that happen as the book of Jeremiah closes in 587 BC. Was it hidden deep within the Temple Mount? Okay, just want to say that is my favorite um, guess and speculation, though we have no idea of knowing whether it's within the Temple Mount or not. It's very closed off. Or, as a lot of people speculate, it was carried away to Babylon, maybe destroyed. Maybe it's been moved hither and yon. We just don't know these things today. The point is that, as was prophesied, the ark is no longer displayed as a religious relic, testifying of God's presence in Israel or anywhere else. Jeremiah's words were meant to console those who would listen. He was saying they don't need the ark to believe God was with them. In the end, it was merely an elaborate golden chest that represented our true security, which is Jesus. Therefore, the ark is only symbolic of what we are to put our confidence in, which is the person of God himself, dwelling not with us, but in us. So as we pray, let's consider the religious mementos and artifacts we may cling to that make us feel good. Maybe it's not a thing, but behaving a certain way, following a ritual, going somewhere, tithing. I don't know. Those all might be good things. The ark was a good thing. But that is not where we put our confidence. It is only Jesus returning to him, repenting of sin, finding salvation in his name, and belief in his death and resurrection that we will be found safe and secure. Okay, let me know below in the comments. Do you know Jesus? Have you repented of sin? Do you feel secure in his arms? So, Lord, I pray that anyone listening will examine themselves, that they will look about them and say, is there something that's making me feel good that really is just a memento, an artifact that I'm clinging to? And Lord, if there is anything other than the person and the death and resurrection of Jesus, I acknowledge that as sin and I return home to the Father. I know, Lord, that you are looking for me, ready to run and meet me. And I renounce and I remove any false idols 
that I think keep me in good stead with God. And I cry out as well for the land that I live in. I cry for the people around me, for the things that they idolize. And it's very need to return to God. And finally, Lord, I pray for Israel, that the spirit of God through Jesus Christ will restore them to worship in spirit and in truth. Lord, you said that one day they will all know you from the least to the greatest. We just remind you of that. And we wait with eager expectation for that day to come to pass. God is good, isn't he? Hey, I am going to be traveling to Central America, El Salvador. I have a grandbaby down there. By the time you hear this, I'll actually be back. Um, but I'm on my way out. And I pray that you will be examining the book of Jeremiah. Let it speak to you. It's amazing how when you really take your time one verse at a time uh, and just sort of dwell on it, it's going to pop up and come to life. And again, be sure to subscribe to my newsletter if you haven't done so yet. And I'll see you again in a couple weeks. These are dropping every two weeks. Um, the, the special newsletter with the Joan Pages will drop on Monday before the next podcast. Okay. All right. God bless you and may his truth and satisfaction in him fill every day of your life. Amen. Thank you once again for listening to Storming the Gates. Check the show notes for links to items mentioned in today's show. We'll see you here again for the next episode of Storming the Gates, a podcast that celebrates the power of prayer.